Ryan, Tony, and Chris We can't guarantee that you're gonna look great. But if you wanna stay in shape, well, you better hit the Chinwits. Welcome to the Gym Wits Podcast. I'm Ryan George. I'm Justin Guild, a.k.a. Chef Sonic. And we are the Gym Wits. So today is our officially our first recording of the new year. It's not the first one that's going to go out of the new year. I think this would be kind of episode three or four of the, the new year. But uh, but first recording. So how, how has your uh, new year been so far? Not bad. Not bad. I've been uh, thrust right back into the action. I thought I would have a couple more days off than I did, but I didn't. And that's just the way it goes. So yeah. I've been dealing with a lot, but it's all good. And um, yeah, so happy to be here making episodes in the new year. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, I guess same for me. It's pretty much been the normal normal routine. It was kind of a, a quiet-ish uh, end of the year. And then things went a bit crazy as you get the New Year's rush. So it's been a little busy, but, but yeah, pretty much a normal Back to normal, not getting enough sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which was, which was, I thought uh, the resolution we were all supposed to yeah. uh, you know, take. I mean, I'd love that to be a resolution. I just don't think it's for me, at least right now, it's not realistic. I'd like to plan my life so that I can make it my resolution in 2020. I guess, but but I got about a year before I can even think about <laughs> getting getting any kind of reasonable regular sleep. Like I get sleep like two days a week, but nice, nice. it's not enough. Um, so did you, I guess we're gonna do a little MMA talk. Did you watch the, uh, New Year's fight? Yes. Yes. It was, um, yeah, look, we, we know how great John Jones is and, you know, I was sort of hoping that he was going to lose cause I, yeah. I think he's turned into kind of not a great person. Right. And I find, I find that he's like a narcissist, but he's just the, the greatest fighter ever. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, you'd like, you'd like to see something, that uh, make like makes it a redeeming story. Like maybe yeah. he loses a fight. Like something really sort of bad happens, and he has to sort of rise from the ashes and sort of change who he is. Like he hasn't done any. He hasn't really done anything bad. But well, I mean, hitting a pregnant woman with a car is pretty bad, yeah, and running away yeah, from yeah. the scene probably not the best thing in the world. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um, the thing with John Jones is which is tough. Is so having trained where I trained, I've met him a few times. And it's, you know, the times I've met him, he's, the, he's incredibly personable. Like he's, he seems like a genuinely, you know, good person, nice person, will talk to you, will give you the time of day. So either he's a complete sociopath or, you know, I, I like with anything, I think it's just complicated. I think he's, he, he got thrust in the spotlight at a young age, didn't quite know how to handle it, probably had, um, you know, not the greatest people around him. Um, and, you know, yeah, he's, he is probably the best fighter on the planet and i mean you know it's hard to argue otherwise like he he literally is somebody who you know there are not many people walking this earth that could beat him in a fight and so it's got to do something there's no one i mean at this stage there's no one yeah i don't think a heavyweight doesn't matter the weight either yeah it's like i think he is he is the best fighter on the planet you know and by extension probably ever you know it's it's just like and so that's got to do something to you when you know at the end of the day as technologically advanced as we are we're still fundamentally you know you want to beat people up or, or, or there's that, that mono mono thing. And he is the apex kind of human predator. So, you know, in that way, it's like, it's got to mess with your brain to some extent. Um, and uh, you know, I, yeah, you kind of hope he, you know, it, it's weird. You, you don't, it's kind of like, he's become a villain at first. He tried to be the hero. People didn't buy it. So now he's become the villain. Uh, and you know, yeah, he, regardless of, I mean, 
you know, the, the steroid, he's been busted for steroids and then there's a question of whether he did it for this one or not like regardless of all that and, and I'm not condoning it he's still the best fighter in the world and he yep. kind of proved that so and uh, the uh, I think maybe the uh, real positive story that, that came out of, oh it was a great fight but was that of uh, Amanda Nunes and congrats to her for beating the unbeatable cyborg man Amanda's just been so awesome and she really put on a great performance you know knocking out cyborg yeah. like it wasn't beyond the realm of possibility that she would win that, but yeah. I wasn't expecting it like that. Yeah, and then and for her, she's I guess she's got to be the best female fighter amazing. ever, I guess, she's, right? Like, I mean, yeah, she's, she's beaten really anyone who's who's been on that short list of like best fighter. She's handily beaten. And, and um, for those who don't know, uh, uh, Chris Cyborg was basically an unstoppable force for. How long was 12 yeah. years? Like some ridiculous amount of time. She was unstoppable. One of the most dominant. And she actually has to go down in history as the greatest female fighter ever. Now, I know that Nunez beat her, but... I I think she loses that mantle. I, I, like, no, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't buy that, that the, the person here, who has recently no. beaten you... Yes, she might be better than... She's better than Cyborg now... And she might be better than Cyborg ever was, but I don't think you can discount history. You can't. That Cyborg did it for over a decade. Yeah. So when when if if say Amanda can do it, and granted the competition wasn't a stip, if like Amanda can do it for like a solid two or three years, right? And she's on, she's on that path, then I'll say yes. But it's like a Cyborg really I generally, carried the she I, she created women's mixed martial so, arts. So so but but there's a difference between being a kind of pioneer in the. Sport Sport. And so you, you, if you, I mean, I get what you're saying. And, and Nunes has lost this is a good, uh, fights, this uh, is a, you know, this is a good so, but here's, the, here's the thing. Like she, she's beaten arguably the three best fighters in, in, his, in, in the sport. Right. Yeah, I, and so I, I agree. you do that. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I can't. How do you argue against that? Too, because there has to be something to longevity. There is something to longevity. Right? And she just hasn't been doing but it for that she's long. I want to destroyed the, I, the I know, arguably the three best. I know, I mean, but I want to see. I, I want to see her do it for a, a little bit longer before I, I want to put her as one of the best all time. So here's here's the problem. Saying best all time, you need to. Here, here's the here's you, the issue. I part part of that has to do with longevity. Okay, like that's why GSP and and Anderson are of the of the greats. Did did. So is is Chris Weidman a better fighter than Anderson Silva? No, no, but, but he, he also beat him. He dethroned him. Okay, well let, let's okay. So but he didn't have long. Well, okay, let's so. take a second. All right, <laughs> I, I I know the point you're trying to make. Um, the difference, different. A couple. There are a couple of, of course, issues. Of course, now are different, this is right? evolved into yeah. MMA sorry, non MMA fans, um, <laughs> you're gonna have to deal with this for a couple of minutes. Um, the difference is first. Women's MMA is is not where men's MMA is, uh, and it's not a, it's not a sexist thing. I think we we both know the, basically the you can sorry, 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 don't sorry, cut sorry, me sorry. off. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> the the way the sport is right, it it's and combat sports in general are have always been kind of a men's domain. So the 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 pool of talent is just much larger to draw from, and so you're going to have more developed um, overall skills for the men on the men's side. So women's MMA has been growing steadily and you're getting much better fighters and there's some women and there are plenty of women who are technically as proficient and as good as as the best of the men but there's not this the the pool yet you know and it, again it's growing and it and maybe one day it does get to that level but it's not the same level so when cyborg was dominant she was dominant 
she was a, a giant fish in a very small pond. There were not many. There were really there was not much competition for her. You you cannot argue to, with me. You can't you can't tell me that she fought people that were at the caliber of you know a Chel Sonnen and you can Yushin Okami and um, Rich Franklin. You know the guys that Anderson Silva beat along the way, even Forrest Griffin and Bonner and all that. The guys that and or GSP, you know, destroying who he beat along the way. Their caliber, of the skill level and the caliber of fighter was completely. You cannot. You can find on Cyborg's uh, resume. I challenge you to find two fighters whose skill level. Were, was above a B level, and you're not going to find that. The last so, two, the, the, she, the yeah. Holly Holmes and yeah, exactly, she beat exactly. She barely uh, yeah. beat Holly Holm, and and she got destroyed. And okay, you can say Gina Carano. Yeah. So you, you give her three fights. One she won convincingly. One was a split. Who is, who is uh, Cyborg's first UFC fight? I forget. I forget. But she was good too. <laughs> so okay. So yeah, yeah, fine. But I'm just saying, like, you're. I, I see. I see. Her, what you're the, the, so so yes, she's been dominant. But and I'm going to give you a men's example in a second. You know what's going to come. So she's been dominant. But you can't. You can't say she's the best. I mean, so she's been dominant, but in a small pool. Um, here's Nunes, who has fought now. Now she's fighting in a time where women's MMA is very developed, and she's fought some really good fighters. It is much more developed than than it was when Cyborg came through, and she is. You know, she's lost a couple times, but she has run through the best women fighters in the history of the sport. So, yeah, I get the longevity argument, but I just don't think that it was the same pool of fighters as as what Nunes has had to go through. And and then not only does she go through better fighters, better competition, and have better results, but then she goes and she destroys cyber cyborg. So I understand the argument, but I just don't see how you can't you you can't put Nunes there. All things considered, now. Same thing with um, Fedor, like Fedor is, and I'm sure I'll get any MMA. A lot of MMA fans are going to disagree with me. I don't know how you say he's. I don't know. He had the longevity and he was undefeated for a very long time, but he was doing it in a time where there was a, a the pool of fighters that he was drawing from was not very deep. Um, I, you know, yes, he he. No, I would say he had better wins than than Cyborg, but it's kind of hard if somebody comes along and then destroys everybody at heavyweight. It's hard to not put somebody ahead of him because know, he just did not the same. He beat Krokop. He beat Noguera. Those uh, were the best. Yeah, you're right. He beat Krokop. He beat Noguera. Who else did he beat? He beat uh, Heath Herring. Uh, he never beat. fought Josh Barnett. He never fought Josh Strangely Barnett. Enough in, in uh, although I think he would have won, but he never. He never I think fought he Josh won. Barnett. He, fought, he, fought, he beat Arlovsky. He, he beat everyone in. You know, he beat everyone. In a, in a I mean, he's got. So look, he I, has three I, or four wins, it, it, like real wins. Um, so I don't know, like you know, it's well. Look, it's 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 the it's the age old question, and people say the same thing about uh, about um, you know, like Wilt Chamberlain. It's yeah. like, well, you know, he was uh, besides Bill Russell at the time, right? He was in a league where he absolutely destroyed. Yeah. But does that take away from what no, he did? No, it doesn't. So I think that, and he's still considered an all-time great. He, an all-time great, but I, I don't know that you can say he's the greatest. So it's, look, it's, it's, the classic, it's the classic debate, yeah. right? Um, I just would like, uh, I, I just would like Nunez to have a little bit more longevity because yeah. if she does great but then just something happens which I don't think is going to happen because I think she's great and she crashes and burns over the like we were like for instance like Joanna uh, uh, Jan Jacic we were calling her the greatest flyweight and at the time she was and now she's fallen off so now do you still call her that? 
But and she was unstoppable. She was until she and wasn't. Then, but until she wasn't. But it, no, she and didn't. Then, ha- but she didn't have the same longevity. She did. And yeah, yeah. again, that's the problem. She ran. She cleaned that, out the division as well. That's the issue. She, she did exactly what Nunes did. She cleaned out the division as well, and then she lost. So women's MMA so. is where men's MMA was, let's say, 10, 15 years ago, where. It, one person could come along, go on a really good streak, and then they're the best fighter in their division because you, there's just not, it's not been around long enough. It's still in its infancy. So, yeah, when she was winning, she was the best flyweight ever because that's the sport. That's the, it's a fledgling division. They're just getting started. So, you're going to have people that continue to leapfrog each other because it's still, now, again, women's MMA has come a long way and it's, it's getting to that point where you can't just do that and you do need to account for history and account for longevity and things like that. I just think that in this case, with the people that Nunes has beat along the way and then beating, beating Cyborg in the kind of fashion that she did, I think it's hard to argue that she's not, um, you know, the best fighter. That's all. I mean, well, she. But once again, I think that's but, that, that is a little bit of semantics. She is the best, but I just don't all like time. calling her. Like, I don't think it's fair to call someone the all time. <laughs> all right, well, let's. <laughs> but we could go on, well, and it's yeah. a classic debate that people say in all fields and all sport, you know, sports and stuff like that. So it's a really interesting debate. Anyhow, so what do we have on on tap? Well, we got okay. So we got a couple. Uh, so we got a couple interesting studies. So okay. we're trying to get get some. And of I know these that Ryan there. has a uh, uh, wants to vent about something too. No, I'm not venting. You're not venting? In case that person is listening to the podcast, I'm going to keep it to myself. (laughs) Um, All right, so we got a couple studies to... to talk about we'll see if, if you have any questions or, or anything just just stuff that i want to get out we have been lazy about it when we well i've been lazy about it when we do these interviews i'm like oh whatever we'll just do the interview but um anyway this one comes out of the university of bath um and it was the it's an, i like it because it's about calories burned while standing so i think we, we like to place emphasis on walking and standing and being active and, and i think it, it it's important but I, I always feel like when we talk about being active you know outside of exercise it's always important to mention it's more like it counters the negative effects of of not being active so you don't you're not going to be walking to get fit you're not going to be you know standing or at a standing desk to be fit you're doing it to to not deal with the negative health effects of of sitting so you still have to exercise and so you always want to kind of keep that in mind just because you're walking you know you walk a mile to work or whatever you know it doesn't necessarily mean that you you shouldn't exercise so anyway to get to the study um no it means you should still exercise it means you should uh, whatever i said it doesn't mean that you cannot you know yeah, so so what this one this study was basically trying to determine how many extra calories are burned standing versus being seated. Um, and so what they did is that 46 men and women who were normal weight um, and they were they were wearing a mask that would basically de- they wore a mask to determine their basal metabolic rate, which is kind of what you burn at rest. Um, and then they were asked um, in different settings to sit stand and lie down for 20 minutes um at a time um and you know while they were in those positions you know they could do whatever they wanted but you know they could fidget they could move you know you weren't like it wasn't like you had to sit still for that time but you had to be you know in that position um what they found was that people sitting burn three percent more calories than people laying and people standing burned 12 percent more calories than than um people sitting just so as just a quick thing the people laying down were not sleeping correct no they were just laying okay. down um, so now what they found basically was, so you think, okay, 12% sounds like a lot, you know, standing versus sitting, but that only aca- amounts to nine extra calories. So when you think about it from a perspective of like weight loss, sure, it, standing is good and better than sitting and it's going to fight off some of the negative health effects of sitting and being sedentary, but it's not going to replace, um, 
a way, you know, might place an actual training program. So, you know, again, the, the idea for, you know, the, the takeaway for me is kind of we, you know, it's, it's two parts. You, you don't want to overemphasize, you, you, you don't want to be sedentary, but we shouldn't overstate you know, standing and walking as being, you know, the, the, all you have to do. You still have to get into the gym. You still have to do your cardio. You're good you for your strength. overall health and wellness to yeah. stand more and to walk more, but it's not going to really impact your either your weight or your fitness level all that much yeah. is what you're saying. Yeah. All right, and then the second one, um, we have another interesting study. So this comes out of Dartmouth College. Um, so this has to do with um, kind of pictures and calorie content on food and advertising and kind of how that makes uh, kind of the decisions we make. And I think, you know, oh, it's I interesting. Hate it. I, you hate I, it. I hate it. I, mean, I know um, why you hate it. I'm sure I know. But do you agree with it um, out of curiosity? Is no, you, I think you, it's... So you don't think the government should require I, 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 No, I, I... Well, but that's more for political purposes. Yeah. I don't think that... that Because... Um, as I'm, I'm somewhat libertarian, uh, assuming that there would there's an, uh, a level playing field. So I guess there, there, very briefly, there's two sides to the debate. Yeah. One is I don't like the idea that the government has to impose something that is quote unquote good for us. Yeah. Right. I feel like we are we have access to the internet. We have access to plenty of educational resources. We could find out what calories. We could find out what the food content mm-hmm. is. Um, with that being said. I think that uh, with an equal playing field, we know that not everyone is educated, not everyone is aware of, of health, um, you, know, uh, you know, the health implications of eating certain foods. So the, the, the counter to that would be there are people that are not educated that need to know if they go into McDonald's how many calories are in uh, the Big Mac meal. Yeah. So I think that actually... If you're going to McDonald's though hmm. to eat well, that, that you're probably that is. Well, you say that, but you also got to consider the socioeconomic aspects there's, to there's it. There's so there's much a lot that to it, so, goes yeah. into it. I don't like the idea of of the government imposing things for, for the just almost anything yeah. so, for for you know uh, commercial establishments or really anyone to do it unless there is a very direct health benefit or. or yeah. Issue, which I guess they're well, saying uh, that yeah. there is. I mean, it's a it's a even, very tough debate. Yeah, I think you know it's interesting because like we get into the, this. Sorry, I have a few but friends. I also just hate it because it makes me feel bad about what <laughs> yeah. I mean. Yeah, I mean, you know, there is that question of like you know what what extent to what extent should the government impose themselves? And I you know I think there's an argument for both sides. I definitely understand the argument. You know, like I'm, you know, you to me you can't kind of um, divorce you know. The government from our lives, and I, you know, I think there's, you know, once you have it, you you kind of have to, there there are concessions you have to make, um, which I'm okay with. Like I'm not, you know, I, you know, I want to say I'm libertarian mostly socially, but I do think that there there's something to be said for, you know, let's say the smoking ban, right? Like banning, you know, I, that, that to or, me or that makes a lot more sense because, because of it, health, right? Because that's a direct okay. health. Because so, if you're in somewhere, you're you don't want to have to smoke yeah. someone else. To me, I, I, I now, think that's a little different. Now you get or the very sli- different. You do get a slippery slope there because then what? It's like, well, when what do at what point do we do we stop regulating? Because you theor- you can argue that let's say sugary beverages and sodas and and unhealthy I the, food. The, I hate the, the limitation on it. Well. Right. While oh. I don't wouldn't recommend drinking, uh, you know, a, a, a huge big gulp. I don't think it's the government's right, as they have done, to impose you can only sell a certain size. Okay, so you, that's a fair, but that's fair. But you can also argue that that those things have led to the obesity epidemic. They've led to 
skyrocketing healthcare costs. And theoretically, if you were, it, let me finish. So if you, so theoretically, if you have a situation where, where people are eating healthier and you have a healthier populace, significant money can be saved on healthcare costs on uh, uh, then theoretically so so i mean there no again i don't know where you go yeah, with that i don't debate. think you can stop like i i agree i think you know look i think i mean personally I, you know when it comes to any kind of um substance whether it's drugs or tobacco um for the most part i do think i do think we should have much looser regulations on that stuff or or we allow you know I, but i don't know because then it's like okay well maybe we allow certain drugs but then I, I, whatever the case is on, on that stuff you should be allowed to do it but i think we do I, I don't think it's unfair or unreasonable to make people aware so just as like you know, making people aware of the effects of smoking seems to have had an effect on on the the numbers. Although I think uh, you know, also in New York, at least you know, you just can't smoke anywhere, so it makes it much much harder. Um, I don't know that you know, you're, you're it, like let's say with calories and stuff. And it's funny how we we totally sidetracked off the study, but no, making people aware of the content, it, it to me is not the same as restricting it. You're just giving that information to people, and you're making it you're making it open and clear. And since we do have a populace that's largely uninformed, uh, you know about lots of things. Like we're all there we all have aspects of our lives that we're uninformed about, and and that yet we still make important decisions. You could take like you know I don't know why I come in, like the housing crisis from 2008 was largely because you had people pred, you know kind of um, predatory these kind of predatory practices taking you know advantage of unsuspecting people who were largely unaware of of the the kind of contracts they were getting into and the the the, the types of uh, situations they're in so there we we all make decisions about important aspects of our lives where we we're largely ignorant about it so i don't know that it's it it's wrong for the government to say all right you can do the x y and z but you need to be very transparent about it so i i'm i'm on the line of like yeah i don't think you necessarily should restrict sugary beverages but i don't see why you can't you can't make sure that um, people make it clear that yeah, this this thing's got you know eight hundred calories or whatever. Sure. So, th all right. But going and, we, and once again, we could have a, a, a very interesting debate on this. It's the the reason why I think it's because it's it's a it's an easy band aid for the government to say, see, we're doing something. But how come when you go to uh, a, a grocery store when you're buying food it doesn't show you how the food was prepared or the fact that there is horrific factory farming it doesn't show you a picture of what the f animal factories look like okay but that, right? that's a why doesn't it or, or when you go to do anything doesn't it does the the government not show you oh well the prison system benefits a lot of people financially because people yeah. invest in it so like you could show well, you're, you're totally right well so, for, so first of all you're 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 totally right number one number so two why that's that? a logical fallacy um getting the name of the fallacy well, well you're you know you're yes both yes so, to both so so yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's no like yeah you're right it's like they're they, choosing you're, a convenient you're right. no, no, but, but, that see, no, 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 seems but, easy but, but without with, but, but see but you're you you can't argue so so there are two separate issues okay. that you then need to argue for each thing indiv indiv individually so if your argument is then well we 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 if we do x then we got to do everything no, no, then to. we shouldn't do x that's not a valid argument the I argument agree. that is so, so so i think and again i'm not and it would be different if you're if you were kind of calling me out for hypocrisy if, if i said 
I totally think we need to put stuff up on fast on fast food stores or restaurants. But no, no, we shouldn't show people about factory farming. Then I, you're absolutely right. But I'm not saying anything hypocritical. Yes, you're right. Like I think people should be more informed about and, all. And this why don't stuff. they? And, but, but why? But, but so why are they forced to do that? Se- be- but that's a separate issue. But, but, let's, but, it's, but it's it's tied in. I'll tell you why. Because you, if you're informing what the calories are, you should all then to, to me. Then it would only be logical. Yes, they're two separate things, but the the answer is why. So why, when you go and buy food at a grocery store, do you not see the the, the farming and how it's prepared? Because those people that are preparing the food are lobbyists. Oh and yeah, they yeah, give a ton Absolutely. of money. You're right. And it would hurt their yes. bottom line. Oh, no, so so here, look. Here, so here, here's the issue. Here, here. So it's, it's here's where we're on the same page. Here's where we're on the same page. And and I totally 100% agree with you. The <laughs> biggest issue in our world, in our society, because I think we have a lot of things wrong with the country and with the world and. Uh, well, you know, I, 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 at the same time, I say that we're we're probably the you know we are living the best life of any group sure. of people ever. You know, so I don't I'm I'm not going to kind of talk about how horrible my life is no, because we got <laughs> you know President Cheeto. But <laughs> sorry to any listeners that are, that are fans of his. But regardless, like the issue, it's easy to look at the symptoms and say, okay, that's wrong. That the real problem is money, and 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 whether you're and that's the thing is like whether you're Republican or. You know, I don't know how we got to, to pause. Whether, you're Republican, whether you're Republican or Democrat, I think that's one issue everyone could rally around is um, is that money has a, a disastrous, awful effect on politics. And I think that they, they're beholden to dollars and they're not beholden to constituents. And, you know, if, if a like – I, um, I don't know that I've ever voted for a Republican, but – I, I will tell you one situation where I would vote Republican is if if you had a candidate that honestly said, you know, I'm going to take that, you know, I, I want this to be a battle of ideas and I want to get rid of money in politics. That's one situation where I would actually really consider it in spite of all the other things that I don't agree with kind of socially. If because I think that the, the root cause of all, of all this is that is that aspect. And so you're right that if the lobby is big enough, they will likely be able to, you know, it's, it's kind of like like I gave I gave Trump credit for a couple of things he did. I don't know why we got into Trump now, but I got, gave him credit for a couple of things. I actually thought that like pulling out of Syria was a good idea, but I also you know is like eh, the you know the, the the military kind of industrial complex is too big for him to just do that. And sure enough, they're backtracking. Why is he backtracking on that? Because I you know we're a more war machine, and so much of our money goes to that that we're you know so sure. that is one of you know that's just that it's it's a toxic part of our country so whether you feel like whether you're more libertarian whether you're more socialist whether you're um democrat republican whatever it is i think i think the, the you know unless you are uh you know unless you're part of that like kind of top percent or you're a big corporation um your voice isn't really being heard. Jim Wicks goes political. Jim Wicks goes political. Yeah, sort of. I think we're not, we're not. Yeah, no, but I mean, but it, but it's true. And, and so, so I would I would I would study. say back to anybody to out yep. there, um, you know. Well, yeah, okay, I won't say anything. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll donate stay to the yeah. gymnasts. That's okay. Don't no, <laughs> no. <laughs> just just we'll run for office if you don't. Yeah, you well, yeah to tell your phone. local leaders that that uh, <laughs> that you want to get money out of politics and uh, maybe yeah. no, but, but that I think that to me is the the central issue. So what was it? Go so, back to anyway, this, back so, to the study. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so somehow we went we, uh, we went into. Well, we're already almost thirty minutes in. I know, and then we got an interview that ran like fifty minutes. So yeah, you guys are in for a lot today. Um. <laughs> oh, oh, except for like the the 
how, however many that just cut off when I. <laughs> <laughs> you could hear like the. Uh, <laughs> you could hear the, the, the sound the, of like the. the unsubscribe. The yeah. <laughs> no, um, no. So, uh, but actually, no. If you, if you were to listen to me a few weeks ago, my liberal friends were all pissed at me because I, I, not that I was like running around saying Trump did it was great, but I actually had given him credit for a few things that then he, of course, went and screwed up. But, um, but I did give him credit. So I'm actually, I'm. Uh, if you are conservative and got, you know, I'm actually like fairly. Re- I will give credit where I think it's due. Um, and uh, while I don't agree with 90% of the stuff, I'll, if there's something, like, I feel like people get a little overly crazy sure. about, like, like like with the Syria thing, I, I don't know why I'm still talking about it, but like with the Syria thing, like, I think liberals went, a mo- you know, months ago, they're like, let's get out of Syria, now they don't want to because Trump wanted to, and I yeah. think that's, that's, yeah, that's where you, that's, a whole that's where you look bad, is yeah. like, you know, be consistent, oh, yeah. and just look, if you did something right, you, you say you did something yeah. right, and yeah. that's it, and okay. you just move on with your life, but, all right, whatever the case is. Okay, any on to this study. Um, so it comes from Dartmouth College, um, and it was about uh, it was uh, it was about the calorie content plus a picture and whether or not it makes food appetizing. So um, this was forty. So again, it's like forty-two students, eighteen to twenty-two. So we're not getting a ton. You know, obviously more would be need to be done. But they had uh, one hundred eighty-nine food images um, without data, and then they followed it with images with the calorie content that they were showing to these students. So they were basically asked to rate the desire for the food, and they were connected to an fMRI. Um, while doing this. So you had, of the group, you had 22 people that were dieters and then 20 people who were non-dieters. So, you know, just just people who were kind of uh, focused on their diet and 20 people, you know, to put it simply, were not focused on, not too focused on their diet. Um, So both groups rated the labeled foods as less appetizing. So they both rated the, um, you know, the food that had the calorie content as less appetizing. Makes sense. We've all experienced that. I certainly have and I've made different choices when I've seen that, which is often when I know I want something bad, I'll just try to ignore the calorie content altogether. Um, and what they found was that it was a greater, that it had a greater effect among dieters. So I think people who were aware of their diet at the moment, um, it had a greater effect on them. Um, I didn't write down the percentages, so I can't give you the exact percentages. But another interesting thing is that, um, so you basically had the regions of the reward, the regions of the brain connected with reward systems and the regions of the brain connected with the control system. So kind of controlling behavior. So in both groups, there was decreased activation in the reward system of the brain, also for the ones with the calorie content, and there was increased activation of the control system of the brain. So almost right away with the calorie content, the the brain also said up, you know, they, they, it decreased activation in that reward center and increased the control center. So almost the body had, you had a, a physiological reaction of, all right, I don't need it, and I'm going to be stronger about it um, with the calorie content. So, yeah, I mean, if you want to have an effect on your populace, like I said, you don't need to ban soda. You don't need to ban certain size soda. But it seems that if you if you give more data, people may make more informed decisions. Yes, I, I, and I think it's uh, just just to go back on what I was saying. I, at no point did I ever say that it was bad posting the caloric content. No, I don't like it personally. My issue with it was I don't like the fact that uh, commercial establishments are forced to do it. That was my issue, right? But I think that uh, if a commercial establishment wants to do it because out of uh, sort of uh, goodness to, to for public health, I think that would be well. That, totally but that's where I would thing. disagree then, because I think then, the then, then that gets wants back to, to do our... it on their own. I think that would be good. But as we know, they're being forced to do it, and it's. Which I think is okay. I, I, I you know, oh, you think it's okay. Yeah, 
because I I do think it it helps people to make more informed decisions. Yeah. Then and then don't, we do well, have. Then it brings us back to the. It does bring. No, it does. Then bring shouldn't us, we? There, there should be a lot more things we should be informed. About. Yeah. So no, but but yeah, but, but we know again, why we're not. yeah. I mean, we can go. You can sure. dive down that again if you. But I'm, I think that it's okay to require that. I, I like how like my I'm saying it's okay to require them to do it. You're like you're gonna force it. So already you hear the difference in kind of our own ideologies and how we're talking about it. But uh, I think that's okay because because it is a public you know, there is a, a public health issue with with obesity and 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 if we had a more informed pub you know if, if people were more informed generally then maybe it'd be a little bit better so but then, uh, but they're not so if adding that little bit of data helps people make better decisions i don't especially in a situation where again yes we, we have we have high costs of our health care like and, and you know i don't want to i don't need to dive down that political kind of hole but if it's an issue that can help the public um, and help people, especially being kind of uninformed. I don't see it as that big of a deal. And you know, maybe you can make it okay. It's restaurants that you know, like in New York, it's like you, if you have more than X amount of restaurants, you have to put the calorie content so they don't force it on like let's say smaller businesses and whatever. But you know, so fine, you can find little caveats here and there if you want. But I, I don't, I don't see it being that awful of of a thing or that bad of a thing to to include the calorie content if it if it does if it does show if you can you know produce studies that show that it has a a, a good good public health outcomes I'm okay with that because you're not yeah. restricting anybody from doing. You're not stopping people from getting. You're not yeah. saying you can't have the triple cheeseburger. Sure, sure. You're just saying you're going to know that that triple cheeseburger has 1,500 calories. I don't see what's wrong with that. Yeah, no, I, 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 no, and and I, I agree with that. I think well, you know, for once again, it's the 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 hypocrisy behind it of that they're choosing to do that when there are so many other public health things that might not be as easy. Fair for them enough, to get away but, with. but so I guess what we, I because what you say, yeah, one thing is better than nothing. You don't have to do everything. I just just to, to me, the 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 concept behind it is what bothers yeah. me. Is that they're picking and choosing what to do based on what they can get away with. Yeah, but that's so, our well, that's our world. I mean, let's say, no, let's say if you're let's say if you are somebody who who does want to get at the that the industry, you may not be able to take down the factory farming industry like that. You may not. Okay, I'll give you a good a good example. Um, I th- what I think is a good example. Um, when I when we went to Thailand, um, we stayed at a. Um, at an elephant, uh, we stayed at a, an uh, elephant sanctuary. Um, and so the woman who runs the sanctuary, it's called Boon Lot Elephant Sanctuary, amazing place, I think it's Bless on in Facebook. Um, the woman rescues elephants. And uh, you know, you, the, you don't ride the elephants, you don't, you know, re- she doesn't really, you don't really feed the elephants, although one day when they were doing some work on one of their foot, like they gave me a thing to, to feed them. You know, and they're very much kind of, they want, she wants the elephants to kind of be as if they would be in the wild. So there's not as much human interaction, like you don't go to their, like some places will have you bathe the elephant and you know most sanctuaries if it's a good sanctuary is not going to have you ride the elf but so so um you're you know you're there to kind of just you, you watch them as they are in the wild and she said like you know if, if they interact with you um then it's on their terms and i think i've talked about it in the podcast i had like the one of the most amazing experiences of my life with one of the when the um elephants actually interacting with me and saying goodbye to me when we we left like it was the you know, sweetest thing and probably the most you know, again one of the greatest things i've ever experienced was 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 being around these elephants so um what she was explaining in thailand elephant um it, you know work is really brutal um they you know between the the breeding of the elephants between the elephant rides um the working elephants like they really treat you know they're they're they're, it's really rough on the elephants and but the problem is that you can't just go to these you know some of of these people their generations and generations have been deal you know with elephants so you can't 
you know, it, you can't just go to the, you know, you can't tell every, them like, oh, stop doing it. Bad, bad Thai person. Stop making your living riding the elephants. The way to get around it is you have to inform people yep. and let, and, and the more people are knowledgeable, you kind of can, you plant that seed and over time you can, you can affect change and, and over time you can then, you know, then as, as that starts to grow and as the, you know, the, you start to kind of, there begins to be kind of like a groundswell, you can then start to make larger and larger kind of policy changes and so you know i think the same thing is here is like we both would love as much as we love meat we'd love more regulations um or or uh, or a farming industry that was more ethical um at a minimum um we'd love that people maybe ate less meat and we love all these things that you probably can't implement now because the lobbies are too big but if you start you know you can start somewhere and then go build from there and i so i see it it's like yeah if you can't get if you can't get the the your ultimate goal if you can start chipping away that's one you know one thing you can start to do yeah no, so and for, with the health stuff sure. like yeah you do what you can yeah yeah and of course we could talk about that you know, <laughs> we should just release this as a podcast we no. should, yeah. all right um, so all right. <laughs> so we've got an interview interview today actually yeah. um a really great one too yeah it's really good uh it is with Dr. Ellington Darden, and we have, uh, goes into he's got a new book out uh, by it's from Men's Health. Health. Yep, yep, called Killing Fat, um, and uh, goes into a lot of great stuff. I read the book; uh, it's really good, a lot of useful information. Great, um, kind of before and after stuff, which is always useful when you have something and, like and, this. And, uh, we'll, we'll talk about it afterwards. But one cool. thing I like about the before and afters is that they're like a black and white and plain, yeah. instead of uh, you know the tricks yeah. that people can do with with before and afters. Yep. So, all right. Uh, enjoy the interview with uh, Dr. Darden, or as he just prefers to be called, Ellington. <laughs> well, no, he said, well, us. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Oh, no, that's true. Well, no, no, he, well, okay. no maybe. We can yeah. get into it. But he but said you know, that like after this, uh, a long time, he doesn't have to be called Dr. Darden. Fair enough. Although we didn't say it on the podcast. So, yeah. All right. Yeah. All right, now, here it is. yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Let's just, let's just turn it over we'll to just Dr. Darden. Yeah. Hey, everyone. He, we are here with Dr. Ellington Darden, who is an exercise researcher, and I have about a, I have pretty much a doctoral thesis in front of me of your credentials, so I can we could list all of them. Mm -hmm. and it, it's very extensive, so yeah, just um, you were you were named uh, one of the t uh, top ten health leaders by the President's Council on Physical Fitness and Sports, and you know you've written a bunch of books, and in fact that's why you're here to talk about your. Uh, your right. new book, Men's Health, uh, Killing Fat, which is awesome. So uh, thanks, Ellington, for coming on the Gym Wits. Yeah, sure. It'll be a good time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it always is. So uh, the first question we always ask before we, we, we jump into it is about y your background in fitness. Yeah, well, I... Uh... That goes back a long time. You know, I, uh, I grew up outside of Houston, Texas in a small town called Conroe. And that was back when if you were a, a boy in high school, you wanted to be an all around athlete. I remember I saw a movie when I was about 12 related to the Jim Tharp story. Now, Jim Tharp was an Indian in the uh, early part of the 1900s that could do just about anything related to track and field and football and 
baseball, basketball, you name it. He was an all-around athlete. So most of the athletes that I admired from an early age that went to my high school could do a little bit of everything. So that was, that was what I wanted to do. So I played football, baseball, basketball, and uh, did some running and throwing the shot and discus. So that got me started on wanting to be a good athlete. And it just so happened that when I was in the eighth grade, we had a coach that uh, bought a dozen barbells and brought them to our school. And, and all the athletes lifted barbells, you know, probably incorrectly, but at least we lifted them wanting to be big and strong. And so that started me off in a strength training and you might say a bodybuilding career when I was about 14 or 15. And I'm still trying to be bigger and stronger. <laughs> so that gradually spread. I went into uh, physical education in college and uh, got a bachelor's and a master's degree from Baylor University and then went to Florida State University and followed up on uh, exercise science and food and nutrition. And uh, Started working with Arthur Jones and Nautilus Sports Medical Industries right after that. So that uh, that sort of gives you a thumbnail sketch of what happened for the first 30 years of my life. Mm-hmm. Nice. That's quite adventure. <laughs> so um, now what, I guess, what about, what kind of attracted you to the fitness industry? Because it's such a kind of diverse um just interesting but dynamic industry like what was it about that world that you decided you know i'm going to make this my career this is what you know this is my path in life well first it was like i said it was to be a better athlete by becoming bigger and stronger so i wanted to uh, learn how to get the best results from lifting weights and uh that, that took me about 20 years to fi- figure all that out. And then uh, then I wanted to learn all I could about losing weight or more specifically losing fat. So I spent uh, 20 years trying to figure out the best way to deal with strength training and muscle building and another 20 years trying to figure out how to deal with losing fat. And you might say that the last 10 years, I've tried to put both building muscle and losing fat together. And I've sort of figured out that uh, building muscle is the best way to lose fat and losing fat is the best way to build muscle. So those two have come together in this uh, book of mine called Killing Fat. I'm sorry, Ryan, to interrupt you. I just I have a quick little sidebar question that I I always I always wonder. Could you have ever expected the fitness industry to be worth the billions and billions that it is now when you first got into it? Could you ever did you could you have ever imagined it going in this direction? Probably not. I. Uh... You know, there seemed to be so much quackery involved initially that you got to work through to find the truth. 
And uh, boy, it's still there. I mean, it seems like there's probably more today than there was when I first got interested in the 1950s and 1960s. You know, I remember when I was about 15 or 16, I went down, this was before I could drive an automobile. I went down to Houston with my mother. She had to see the dentist and it was in the downtown area. And there was a health food store there. One health food store that I knew of in all of Houston. And there was a, you know, you could smell it a half a block away because you could just smell those vitamins. You know, every time somebody opened the door and there was an old woman in there that looked like the wicked witch of the West, you know, she looked, she was probably about 60, but she looked like she was about 90. But boy, could she sell all those promises and, and claims. So I would, I would spend $50 in that health food store and come out of there with a sack full of vitamins and minerals and protein tablets and wheat germ oil, thinking that I had the truth about how to get big and strong. And I think it did help me from the standpoint of, man, I believed in it. I, you know, and somewhere in my book, I point out that if you believe in whatever program you're doing to be bigger and stronger or to lose weight or lose fat, that may be 50% of the battle for the first five or six weeks anyway, you know? Yeah. So, so I read the book, and there's a lot of a lot of great information in it. And so, I'm always interested again with authors. You know, now as we talked about, there, there's so much in the industry, good and bad, um, science based, quackery. But for you in writing this book, um, I guess what was the area? What was missing in the fitness world, or in the literature, in the books that were out there? What was missing that you felt like your your book kind of served that need? <clears throat> Well, I felt like I had a program, a six-week and a 12-week program that would actually cause you to, you know, transfer fat out of your body through thermodynamics, which I, I bring out in the first several chapters. So I, uh, it took me a long time to come up with all the basic components that are involved in getting rid of fat. But, you know, it boils down to four things that you've got to, uh, you've got to reduce your dietary calories. You've got to build muscle at the same time as you're doing that. And you've got to super hydrate your system with a lot of cold water. And then you've got to understand the heat and cold implications that your body's under through uh, studying, you know, biology 101 and physics 460. You know, it's a it's a complex idea of transferring fat, transferring heat out of your body, and then being vigilant after you lose it to not allow it to come back in. You know, which is to say, you got to you got to get rid of the fat and then keep it out of your body over the long term. And, and that's what I try to explain 
uh, going from a complicated uh, science to some easy-to-understand guidelines. So, so, so can you maybe explain the thermodynamics and kind of, you know, obviously it's, it's something that it's kind of ubiquitous in life, but we don't really think about how it applies to exercise, applies to weight loss, applies to fitness. So maybe you can explain thermodynamics as a concept and how you kind of integrate that in that idea into fitness. I don't want to say like you use thermodynamics in fitness because it is, it's always there, but kind of how the yeah. idea helps to explain kind of what the body is doing when you are trying to lose weight and or gain muscle. Well, it goes back to the biology, your first biology classes in probably in high school where uh, you, you try to understand that you can't create or destroy energy. You, you know, we have, we being warm-blooded animals, we can't absorb energy from the sun. But we can get energy that the sun radiates to, uh, to plants primarily. <clears throat> so that, that's where the eating comes in. And the eating of, of fruits and vegetables, breads and cereals, and then animals that also do the same thing. So we eat animals. So that's one of the basic concepts of you've got heat that goes into energy, that goes into food, that goes into calories, and it's just a, you know, it's a, it's a rotary situation. Uh, Calories in and calories out. So once you understand that and uh, study a little bit about Albert Einstein and his, his thermodynamics and what made him great, then it, it all kind of goes together. That calories count, that you have to understand calories in food and calories in activity, action, and exercise. And you've got to take advantage of it by learning the science and then applying the guidelines. And that's what I try to do in the book is, is uh, start off in a scientific fashion, but then give you some, some tips and guidelines on how you can use it to your advantage if you're trying to uh, lose fat. So just as a sort of uh, an add-on to that, Thermodynamics, because it sounds cool, has become, or it sounds hot more like, it <laughs> uh, has become a buzzword and has become a marketing term. So uh, lots, of, lots of supplements on the market that are mainly caffeine and a whole bunch of other things like that say yeah. that th- taking this supplement will increase thermodynamics in the body. Could you just speak on <laughs> on? those claims that are being made? Well, I think there are some claims that are true that uh, caffeine has an effect to elevate your core temperature. And uh, there, there are other situations, fruits, vegetables, and chemicals that do something similar. And the human body itself has uh, much better ways to do it than to rely on some type of, of pill that you get or supplement that you get from 
department store or health food store. You know, you've got the the body's wonderful mechanism of, of, you know, your muscles provide heat and your fat provides coolness. So when you combine those two together, then what you're trying to do is is figure out how to get rid of this heat. And, of course, uh, fat is a form of heat. So when you exercise, you're getting rid of heat through the carbon dioxide that comes out of your mouth and nose, and you're also getting rid of the warmth that comes through your skin. And it, one thing I point out in the book that most people aren't aware of is that Almost shivering burns three times the calories as vigorous sweating. So when you look at uh, a melting ice cube versus a candle that's lit, you see that both are means of getting rid of heat. So once you understand how the mechanisms work and the thermodynamics behind it, you can use both cold and heat to assist you in losing fat and building muscle. And that's what I've tried to do. And and I found at least adding these things all together, then it's possible to actually lose a pound of fat a day. And, and uh, what other people push, it's quackery on how they do it. So, You've got to bring together these components in the proper manner to get the most efficient use out of the heating and cooling systems of the body. And that's what killing fat's about. So that's good. So I was actually uh, the next question. So um, you kind of the general kind of rule of thumb in fitness has always been like one to two pounds a week of, of fat loss. So what, um, I guess, what do you do or how does your program between the you know exercise and the diet, what about that allows for kind of the facilitated or accelerated fat loss beyond what that kind of normal rule of thumb is in, in the, in the kind of health and fitness world? Yeah, well, one to two is considered to be the standard and I get, seven to eight pounds a week on most strong men who are involved. So, uh, yeah, it's bringing in the right type of carbohydrate-rich foods to accelerate the use of water in your system and then consuming a large amount of cold water. You know, I try to get everyone to drink at least a gallon of ice cold water a day, 128 ounces. And if you've got access to using a cold plunge uh, four or five days a week where you get chin deep in 52 degree water, boy, that is a huge way to accelerate the uh, loss of heat from your body and if you don't have a cold plunge fortunately i've always been able to do a lot of my research at uh, this big fitness center a hundred miles from where i live i live in orlando and my good friend joe cerulli has the gainesville health and fitness center in gainesville which is a hundred miles from here so he's got twenty-eight thousand members there and it's easy to recruit 
dozens of men and women to go through these programs that I have as a as a testing regiment. So and they have a cold plunge there, a big, uh, you know, 15 by 15 foot pool of 52 degree water. Have you ever tried something like that, Ryan? Or yes, <laughs> it's it's they're brutal. Becoming, <laughs> they're becoming very popular, really, all over the world. Like now, um... yeah, it, but few people have used it properly. You know, yeah. So uh, what, now, what is the kind of proper protocol for it? To ease in there, about an hour after you do a hard workout, and. Uh, Stay at first. You stay about five minutes. You get chin deep, and uh, you extend it to ten minutes after several times, and then that's that's what you need on a three or four day per week regimen. And if you do that, boy, you burn uh, you burn fifty calories of fat every minute. So, and if you stay in there ten minutes, that's that's 500 calories, that's a lot of caloric burn from uh, a 10-minute period of time. No, sure. And it's I, effective. I, it, helps, it helps you lose fat and it helps you build muscle because it, uh, it takes some of the inflammation away from a hard workout. You've probably experienced that too. Yeah, that's, I've heard that it has many, that besides just fat loss and caloric burning, that it has other health benefits as well. So it's definitely, I think, something that's going to really catch on even more in the, in the next couple of few years. So now, I, so I have a question. The, the, so the, the holy grail of fitness has always been, or at least in the last 30, 40 years, right, to lose fat and gain muscle. And that's what you're all about. So the, the, right. the, the, the it really begs the question, how is how are or how is with your plan? Are you gaining muscle? Are you gaining size at a caloric deficit? Well, I have explored for the last oh since nineteen seventy five the uh, advantage of using eccentric work or negative work, you might say in the lifting and lowering of a barbell or an exercise machine. So uh, the man I, my colleague, Arthur Jones, started experimenting with a negative phase of a strength training exercise back in the early 1970s. And I followed up on that. And uh, oh, in the last 10 years, I've been using it almost Exclusively, and in this uh, Killing Fat book, I have my most recent method of applying it to barbells and dumbbells and exercise machines, and I call it thirty ten thirty. So <clears throat> that's uh, the negative exercise, the lowering of an exercise machine or a barbell or dumbbell is the most important phase of stimulating a muscle to grow bigger and stronger. And most people don't know that, especially average people. So, you know, I've got several chapters in the book on how to make adaptations and how to use it to your advantage. 
So now, do you do you mix that also with other more, you know, I guess, uh, lack of a better word, like more functional training, or do you kind of is the is most of the fitness regimen based around the kind of negative negative tra- um, aspect of the exercises? Yeah, most of. Uh, if you're trying to lose fat, then uh, absolutely you want to stimulate your muscles to grow. Muscles to grow briefly. And I do so with only eight exercises, which are performed one set to uh, failure, momentary muscular failure, only twice a week. Then what I found that really helps the whole process is instead of doing more exercise on your off days, you focus on relaxing and resting. Because uh, especially at night, getting a good nine hours of sleep a night, that's the time you lose the most fat and you build the most muscle is at night. So I, uh, I reinforce people working hard only twice a week and then getting out and resting and relaxing at least while they're losing the fat for six to 12 weeks. Once you get it off, then you can go back to more of an action-oriented daily schedule and do other sports and fitness activities, but not while you're trying to get it off. It's funny we're, we're you mentioned two things: uh, getting sleep and drinking a lot of water. Which are we were talking about some you know changes that people can make, or kind of our New Year's episode. We were talking about realistic yeah. changes people can make, and it's amazing how much getting good sleep and drinking adequate water can can affect your life and your body without making any other changes. So it definitely falls. Um, yeah, in and, line with- and a lot of people don't uh, they they don't apply that or they don't believe you and. Uh, so they leave those two things off and they go on some kind of weird diet or a low carbohydrate situation, which doesn't help in my opinion. Yeah. No, so, so let's talk about that a little bit. Um, cause you don't stress low carbohydrate and I think, you know, it's one of these kind of things that you go back and forth one week or one month or one year, low carbohydrate diet or a fad, then it's something else and then it goes back and forth. So kind of, I guess, give us your take. Um, what, what's your stance on that? Um, is there a dip? And I guess to add on to that, even when it comes to sugars, are, do, it, it, are all sugars created equal? Does it matter what kinds of sugar? Does it matter where it comes from? So I guess if you can kind of answer both from the carbohydrate perspective but also from sugar because that's a big thing in your book, um, maybe kind of answer that for our listeners and kind of give us an idea of, of, of what we should be doing. Yeah, well, remember I was saying one thing I want to happen in the human body, I want to superhydrate the system. So if you look at the word carbohydrate at one time it was called hydrated carbons so that's what carbohydrates do in your system they help hydrate they help keep the water in which most people desperately need especially uh, the the over fat ones because they I, I see most people that I deal with walk around partially dehydrated and don't even know it. So if you eliminate carbohydrates from your system, your body gets rid of water. And that confuses a lot of people because they think that losing water is fat and it's not. There's not much 
water in fat. But there's a lot of water in your muscles and in your internal organs and in your extracellular fluid. But you don't need you don't need to lose this. Your body needs to have most 70% of your body weight is a result of the water you have in your body. So if you can get even more water, it's probably to your advantage. Now, as far as breaking the carbohydrates down into sugars and starches, I do that in my diet, but but uh, what I try to get people to understand is uh, w- when you're eating small meals, and I push that in the book, you know, men have three 400-calorie-a-day meals, three standard meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then they have three snacks. Now, a snack is from 100 to 300 calories. So actually you've got six small meals a day and all of these meals are at least 50% carbohydrates. So this is a carbohydrate rich diet. And on those small meals, it doesn't matter much if it's starch or sugar. I, I don't, uh, I don't tell people that Sugar is is bad. I think it's good. A, a moderate amount of sugar makes a lot of foods taste taste better. So I push a moderate amount of sugar and uh, a larger amount of starches. You know, vegetables and breads and cereals. Those are the main carbohydrates I push. But on a 14, 15, 1600 calorie day diet, which is what I push for men, then uh, it's hard to go wrong on having, uh, you know, you know, carbohydrates at the level of 50 to 60%. One issue, um, as you also, you know, bring up in the book is that most diets kind of are doomed to failure. I think it's like 90% um, or somewhere in that range. So I guess... And so I guess there are two, I guess this is kind of a two-part question is how is your approach different, um, you know, as far as kind of dealing with the, that, that potential failure? And then what do you do about the maintenance aspect to, to ensure that, you know, once you have the results that you keep the results, you know, for a year or two years, for a lifetime, you know, after, after losing all that? Yeah, well, once you lose a large amount of fat, you've got to, you, you've got to, Keep your muscle strong. You have to continue to keep your muscle strong or even add more muscle. You know, muscle speeds up your metabolic rate. Uh, if you look at a pound of muscle and a pound of fat, uh, you know, you've got a tremendous amount of blood flow in muscle and not very much blood flow in fat. That's why if you look at one under a microscope, compare it to the other you'll see the muscles loaded with capillaries and there's capillaries in fat as well but not very many that's why fat you know looks like fat on a on a t-bone steak and muscle looks red like muscles look so you've got to uh you've got to up your dietary calories you can't continue to support your body on 15 or 1600 calories a day if you're a man you got to eventually 
add a thousand calories to that and uh, do more action activities that burn calories and continue to strength train your body and continue to drink water and also understand the thermodynamics behind it and be vigilant. I have, toward the end of the book, I think it's in the last chapter, I talk about uh, the transfer of calories outside your body. It's, it's sort of like having a, a dog inside your house who's misbehaving and you put it outside. Well, most of the dogs I've seen will hang around the back door and, and uh, nudge the door and make all kinds of noise because they won't back in, you know? And uh, that's what happens when you lose heat, when you lose fat through heat and you transfer it outside your body. That heat hangs around and wants back in, especially if it's, it's just recently been, been exhumed outside your body. So you gotta be very vigilant, understand those problems, and not be like most people who get rid, transfer the fat out, and then within months, you know, it's back, and, and most people add to it. So you got to understand the thermodynamics behind the transfer of it and how to keep it off. And I try to uh, do that. So... Fat is, for the for the longest time now, is is such a, an interesting term. Dietary fat, fat on the body, but with more research and just everything that's coming out, we're we're learning that it's it's really quite complicated. And now, uh, as on the Jim Wits, we've done a few different episodes about this. So, could you talk a little bit about the different time, the different types of bodily fat, and how there it's how fat there isn't just one fat. Yeah, well, you've got, uh, the. I guess most people have about 50% of their fat they have is subcutaneous fat. It's right under the skin, all over the body. Now, it's thickest around the middle and thinnest around the hands, the feet, and the forehead. And that's for a reason, because, uh, you know, our evolution of that's taken place over a million years, you know, it's just recently that we had modes of transportation that would allow us to go, you know, more than 10 or 15 miles in a day. And, uh, if, uh, you know, until recently, if you'd had 25 people that had to walk from Florida to Texas, you know, you couldn't do it if you had, uh, a lot of fat around your hands, feet, and head. So uh, most of it accumulated around your midsection, which allowed you to move your limbs. And that's still where the majority of your subcutaneous fat is. But besides the subcutaneous fat, you've got several other kinds. You've got depot fat, which is uh, more or less inherited from, from your mother and father and your grandparents. And you can see this if, if you have group pictures that go back several 
generations. Um, Men store fat differently than women. You know, women tend to store it around the backside, men around the front side. And you got another type of fat besides depot and subcutaneous that's called essential fat, which is around the uh, your eyes and around your brain and around your internal organs. You don't usually get rid of it. <clears throat> and recently, like I bring out in one chapter in the book, uh, scientists have found that there's a fat that they call brown, brown fat, which has a light brown color to it when you look at it under a microscope. And only in the last 10 years have they discovered that this fat, which originally was thought to protect newborn babies for the first year of their life, uh, newborns don't have the capacity to shiver. So uh, they're vulnerable to cold weather. And this brown fat, which is around the collarbones and neck and spinal column, uh, helps a baby deal with cold weather. So literally the baby fat. (laughs) Yeah, and they thought, scientists for years thought that it dissipated, it went away after you were a couple of years of age, but now they find that it's still there and it can be uh, revived through primarily through what we've talked about earlier through cold, you know, dealing with cold water around the neck and shoulders, being in cold water situations. And there's a few foods that help with that. And exercising in cold weather helps too. So, and sleeping in cold, in a in a colder room than what you're used to helps. So, there there are four or five different types of fat, and fat is essential. We need at least some fat. But uh, as I talk about in the book, and as many people talk about, at least in the United States, most Americans over the age of 25 or so have too much fat, you know, way too much fat. All right. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. So um, tell us a little bit about the, uh, the book and uh, when it's going to come out and where you can get it and uh, where we can reach you. Yeah, well, the book uh, is going to be on January the 29th, which is, I mean, look, I think it's a Tuesday. It'll be in all the bookstores. It'll be in major bookstores and on uh, Amazon and all the book-selling websites. You know, there's dozens of them. And I have a... uh, I have a website that I've had up and running for the last 20 years, and it's just uh, called uh, drdarden.com. So D-R-D-A-R-D-E-N.com. And I've got a lot of information in there on strength training and diet and uh, 
general fitness activities. So I would uh, welcome and challenge anyone interested. Uh, look me up there. Awesome. Well, great. Well, and th- get a copy of the book because I think it's uh, it's uh, it's very well done by R- Rodell Publishing, which is now owned by. Uh, by Penguin Random House, a new publisher, but the largest one in the world, in New York City. Yep. Yeah, and it's a you know I had a really a great read. Uh, you break things down really well, so it's not um, you know while you use some you know while you're, you're addressing some important and complicated aspects, you break it down in a way that that is easy to digest. Um, yeah, and it's got Ryan. Did you see? Did you look through it? All yeah. those before and after yes. pictures. Yeah, yeah, there are a lot of great. Yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. There are a lot of great before and after, which which is very helpful because it lets us see. You know, you, there's never anything better than visually seeing how somebody changes over over a period of time. So yeah, there that that part it was a really welcome kind of aspect of the book. Yeah, I've tried to. I started taking before and after pictures back in the 1970s, and if you put before and after pictures on the internet, you'll get thousands of them. But you you seldom see anybody that standardizes the before and after pictures. So you'll see a guy's picture, you know, outside with a softball bat in his hand, and he weighs 250 pounds. And now you'll see another picture of him with a bathing suit on uh, weighing, you know, 200 pounds. But you're never sure. First, you're not sure it's the same guy. And he's not in the same pose with the same background, so I try to get uh, I try to do it in a standardized scientific fashion, and I've got hundreds of these. But the the best sixteen, and then the next best twenty are featured in the book. So the book's three hundred twenty pages and has twenty five chapters and five different parts. So there's something in there for. All men that need to lose fat or build muscle, and there's also a couple of chapters that relate to women. So, even though it's it's called Men's Health Killing Fat, a woman can still profit by reading the book and and doing the program. All right, great. Well, thank thanks so much for being on the podcast. Um, we'd love to have you back if you have anything else coming up or anything else going on. Um, but yeah, it's great, great having you on. So oftentimes when our interview is over, we still speak with the guest afterwards just to talk about you know, logistical things and timing when, when it's going to go out and if there's any show notes or any, anything like that. So um, uh, Ellington gave us some suggestions. He said that we, uh, we should try doing a chin-up. Uh, basically. Hold, oh, oh, so, right, yeah. so you start at the top of the pull-up. So you get there however you need to get there, whether you need a chair or you can get yourself up for the one or you have a friend help you get up to the top of the pull-up. He basically said try to do the lower part for 30 seconds. So you take 30 seconds to control yourself down from the pull-up. Um, and then he said for us to build to 60 seconds. Uh, so we're going to try that. So if you can, try at the top of the pull-up. to do that with a lot of different exercises. Yeah. In fact, that's a big uh, uh, point in his book to that if you want to – Build a uh, really build muscle, then uh, working the negative. So that's yeah. his one of one of his methods in the book. What did you think about the book in general? It's good. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of good stuff. Um, 
And like I said, he does break things down very, you know, well, you know, I don't, um, I'm not a fan of um, negative training, but I like that he explained it's for building muscle. So yes. I think all this research on negatives is that it's great for building muscle. I think there's some other, you know, if you're doing like a sport, um, it doesn't necessarily translate to the sport. Um, but if the goal is building muscle, there's no reason why you can't, you know, not to do negatives. Um, and uh, so, uh, you know, I'm fine with that. And, you know, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of good stuff in there. And he's, so, you know, he's uh, sort of traditional that he is believes pretty heavily. And in fact, that's the whole crux mm -hmm. of his, in, you know, in calories in, calories out. Yeah. Uh, so that's going to be the, the, you know, the power behind his book, which is fine. That is certainly a very workable method. And, and he also stresses a lot of other things, like um, he was really into the sort of the, the cold, you know, the yeah. cold plunges and, and things like that. And it's actually pretty cool. cool. So um, he has good workout information. It's, it's just good stuff. And it, it is certainly a method that could work very well, uh, you know, for, for certain people, mostly for men. Mm -hmm. But he did mention that there are some chapters in there that could apply to women as well. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well. I guess that's it. It was a long, <laughs> long first episode yeah, yeah. of the new year. Um, so hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, that is it. We got, uh, we, yeah, we, as I've been saying for a while, we got some cool stuff coming up. Um, and we are very close. We actually started actually recording some of this stuff. So, uh, you should get some good content, uh, February on onward. So that is it. I'm Ryan George. Well, where, where does everyone find us? Oh yeah. If they the don't gym, know already. Oh, yeah. If you don't know already, uh, the gymwits.com. Um, you can find all of our stuff, our Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that good stuff. Um, so that's it. I'm Ryan George. I'm Justin Guild, a.k.a. Chef Sonic, reminding you that truth does not sell. And we are the Gym Wits. 